So we are in our second week in the book of Colossians. Just love God's word. There's so many directions to go as I was continuing to read in the book this week. And it's like, oh my goodness, it's like five messages in this chapter. What do we do? So I said, you know what? I'm just going to put them all in one message. It's going to be a really long Sunday. Just kidding. Actually, I'm working on shortening my messages. So, it's been about 30 minutes the last two Sundays, so come on now. The Lord's at work. You're not supposed to clap for that. Jeez Louise. These are my pre-jokes. This is not funny. All right. Um, but I went, actually was struck by chapter one. A, a little phrase stood out that I want to focus in on this morning, and it really sets us up for a beautiful flow into Colossians chapter 2. But back to chapter 1 and the prayer for this seasoned saint, this old apostle, if you will, who's writing from prison in Rome at the request of the person who planted this church, Epaphras, where this church planter was concerned and honestly, it kind of looks like he went to Rome kind of saying, hey, what's going on in my church? I need some help. So he went to his mentor, kind of almost a little sense of like, hey, this is above my pay grade. This is above my security clearance here. I haven't faced this before. How, how do I address the challenges that, that my church is facing? And so Paul writes this letter. He's never been there. He's never met them. He doesn't know them. You see that in the letter. He's heard about some of the stuff going on. So he starts the, the, the book with a prayer, saying this is his heart. Based on what he's heard, now what he's discerned in his spirit, he's got a sense of what God wants to do. He prays a prayer for him. Incredible prayer, like most of Paul's prayers that are just so big and awesome. Sometimes you get lost in all the great things that he's saying. So I just want to read it again and, and hone in on really a phrase that, that sets us up for this morning. So Paul prays in, in Colossians 1, 9 to 12. From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So last week we really focused on the, the second half of this prayer where there was this, this hunger and desire for Paul to, and, and, and prayer for them that they would encounter joy in God. That through what God did in their lives, e lives, even in the difficult circumstances that they were facing, for all endurance and patience with joy. How many of you guys know you can go through hard things, endure things, and there's no joy? Paul's prayer is that Jesus would be so real to you and you're so fixed on Jesus and who he is, the greatness of Jesus, that no matter what you endure, there is joy and thanksgiving. That is really appealing. <laughs> so that was last week. 
So now, a little bit earlier, he prays a prayer that through what God would do in their life, they would, verse 10, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And that phrase just stuck out in just a really interesting way, a significant way, kind of one of those as you're reading God's word, you, you, you know, like the Holy Spirit's highlighting this. So just began to dig into it, ponder it, meditate on it. And the phrase just, you know, got kind of increasingly powerful and beautiful. To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. As I've mentioned before, and if you were on the devotions when we were going through this, this word walk is synonymous with live. How you're living. That's it's kind of probably where that phrase came from. People say, like, how's your walk with the Lord? How's your life with the Lord? It's, it's, it's a synonym, right? So this walking, this living, this is day in, day out, everyday life, which right there is a, a just clear picture of Jesus is supposed to be all of life. It's not a Sunday thing for an hour or two. It's not a Sunday and Friday thing. It's just life. You're just walking. You're just alive. You're living. You're living with, in, for Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian, to follow Christ. So right in here is, you know, this is what life is all about. It's with Jesus, for Jesus. And there, the phrase then there is really cool, though. Live or walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And so that's this challenge. It's Paul's prayer. That these Christians, these folks who claim Jesus as their Lord and Savior, would be so strengthened by God's Spirit and the truth that God, that God is going to bring to them through Paul, that they would live, they would walk in a manner that's worthy of putting the tag on themselves, Christian. And I, that's where it's like, ooh, now this is interesting. This, this, this gets real. Am I living in a manner that's worthy to tag Jesus on it? To hashtag Jesus to your life? Is my life worthy of, letting, of, of telling people I am a Christian? I mean, that very declaration is saying my life is going to reflect Christ in every way you can imagine. That's part of it. Now, I'm not trying to set the standard of we don't mess up, we don't fall. We're strugglers. We don't have it all together. That's all true. But do you know where the name Christian came from? <laughs> it's in the book of Acts. That uh, This radical little church in Antioch was, was so reminiscent of this Christ that they got called little Christs. They were walking in a manner worthy of attaching their life to Jesus and publicly saying, I want Jesus to be known through me. And it was, in fact, an outside source that said, man, they're like little Christs over there. And I take that as one of the most beautiful challenges that any of us could receive. If someone looked at your life in any area, would they say, wow, Jesus is definitely in charge there. If someone looked at any and every area of your life, would they say, wow, that reflects 
Jesus. That looks like Jesus. That tastes like Jesus. Wow, the way that you handle hard situations, that looks to me like Jesus is in charge. The way that you handle your relationships, friendships, family, spouse, kids, wow. I can tell that that's not just you working hard or doing it on your own strength. There's definitely something different. Oh, Jesus is in charge of those things? Okay, I can believe that. That's why I love this challenge. I claim to be a Christian. That's like, that's an identity, a follower of Jesus. Like, you know, pastor, like, I don't really, no thanks. I mean, whatever. It's what, you know, but like with my kids, like, they'll say like, this is, the, this is the fun reality. You're just saying this, Dad. You know, you're, you know, oh, this lecture. It's because you're a pastor. You're good at it because you're a pastor. No. It says, I maybe practice a little bit, but it has nothing to do. This belief right here that we're talking about has nothing to do with me being a pastor. It has everything to do with me just being a follower of Jesus. And does that, that that's kind of like how, so Wow, what a cool challenge that we get right here. Walk in a manner worthy where your life can get inspected and to where we can grow and through God's strength, not ours, we can grow in a way to where we can say, yeah, yeah, everything in my life, have a look. I hope what you find is that Jesus is in charge. And that doesn't mean that we're perfect and got it all together. But it does mean that we are being transformed and we have been transformed and there's areas that we know still need to be transformed but they're being surrendered to Jesus and in those areas that are still are struggling, at least we're giving them to Jesus saying, I know I don't got this part together but man, I know whom my help is. <laughs> I know where my help's coming from and I know that I'm forgiven along the way. Man, it's a good gig being a Christian. And then the second phrase of this, which really got me excited. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. So now, it's not just about how we're reflecting it to others, which does matter a lot. But when we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, when we make those types of decisions and choices to actually put Jesus first as king, and we start to do it more and more in every area of our life, and we are transformed, and we are being transformed, and we're going to be transformed, when we do that, it actually brings pleasure to God. For me this week, it's like, wow. I mean, I kind of already knew that, and I knew that, but whoa, wow. When we walk, I mean, have you ever thought about how God has given you the utterly incredible privilege and opportunity to bring God pleasure? Wow. Wow. That should be a wow. And that with our lives, with our lives as worship, we can and do and will bring God pleasure. I mean, to me, 
if we just, we just sang how much we love Jesus, then we should be really motivated by the reality that our lives, not just what we do in here, but what we do out there and how we live, how we walk, can bring God pleasure. I mean, if he's my highest treasure, as we just sang, that should be really motivating that I can bring my treasure pleasure. It's like, wow, what a privilege. And so now we want to keep rolling here into Colossians 2. Because Paul, in one chapter, and again, this could be lots of different directions, but in one chapter, Paul demonstrates or gives us at least five images about Christ to help filter our thoughts and actions through in order to really give a little healthy assessment of are we walking in a manner worthy of the Lord? Are we walking in a manner worthy of being called a Christian or claiming that we are a Christian? So he gives us these five, at least, there's more, I'm just going to hit five very quickly, that he, that he rolls through that point to a truly Christ-centered life where we're walking in a manner worthy of Christ. And he, in a way, continues to open it up in the, the Christ hymn of Colossians 1, 15 to 20 that we looked at all of last week, so we're not going to repeat, but there's a phrase in there where he says, speaking about the greatness of Jesus, he says, so that in everything Christ, Jesus, might be preeminent. So we talk about Jesus being Lord, being Christ-centered. Paul's saying all this greatness of Jesus so that he might be preeminent. The word preeminent means first, in order of rank. It's a ranking term, like first place. This is a cool picture. That in everything, Jesus is meant to be first place in our lives. To walk in a manner worthy of being called a Christian. To walk in a manner that Jesus is worth. Then Jesus will be first place in almost everything. Oh, it doesn't say almost. In everything. He'll be first place in our hearts, our minds, our lives, how we walk. So it kind of all fits together. The walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that he might be first place in everything. So this Christ-centered life is what Paul is, is challenging the Colossians to. And so let's continue just to roll through chapter 2 here and look at these, these five images. Chapter 2, 1, verse 4. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. So there's Paul again kind of showing that he hasn't been there. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all, all, not some, not a few, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. 
So just to, to simplify one aspect of this Christ-centered life, of the Jesus' first life, of walking in a manner worthy life, is that Jesus is your treasure. In Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Everything you need to know, everything life is all about, it's all hidden in Jesus. Hidden to be revealed. The fact that Christ, God coming to earth, that's the mystery that was to be revealed. And in Christ is revealed that he is the treasure above all treasures. This is the same essence of what Paul says in Philippians 7, or excuse me, 3, 7 to 8 that we talked about. Where Paul says, I count or consider everything else in my life a loss compared to the surpassing value of knowing Jesus. For whose sake I have let go of everything and I consider them garbage. That is a value comparison. A treasure comparison. A worth comparison. Saying we're all seeking treasure in our life. We're all placing value on something because we're made to. We're made to worship. And Paul's testimony is Jesus is the greatest treasure you can ever find. In fact, he's, he brags a little bit and said, I had like all the earthly treasures there were and they're garbage compared to the value of knowing Jesus. So that first aspect here is Christ-centered, Jesus-first, walking in a manner worthy, is that Jesus is becoming more and more and more that, that supreme treasure. To know Jesus is the greatest pursuit and joy and satisfaction and treasure in our life. And then moving on. Chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ the Lord, so walk in him. Which, by the way, is the same exact verb of walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing. So Paul's repeating himself here. It's this walking, it's this living, this active relationship with God. As you receive Christ Jesus, so walk, so live in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty lies according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. That's very Christ-centered. If it's not according to Christ, get rid of it. So this Christ-centered preeminence, Christ-first saying, so walk in him rooted, rooted in him. That's this classic biblical picture of your life is a tree. Where are you putting down your roots? Into what foundation are your roots sinking and grabbing hold to as anchors? Because you're putting them down into something. And if 2020 revealed anything, it's a lot of people had roots in sinking sand. Because they freaked out at the first sign of life's reality that it's really fragile. And things can change in a second. And when terror and fear and despair are your first responses, check your roots. What are they going down into? Because over and over, it's all over the Bible, this picture of this tree, and it's you 
Psalm 1 says it. Read it. 1, 3 to 5. Blessed is the one who walks with the Lord, whose roots, what does it say? Whose roots are planted by the streams of water. So there's that vibrant living relationship with the Holy Spirit. Or you could take Jesus, the one who builds their life on the rock. It's all the same idea. It's the foundation. What do you got? And I love Psalm 1 where it says the one who does have the roots planted down in the streams of water or built on the rock. We can join them both together. What does it say? Their leaves do not wither in the heat, but they produce fruit in every season. That is a promise from God over and over and over. That when you put Jesus truly first and you walk the journey of sinking down roots, it doesn't happen overnight. Your roots slowly grow. You put them down into something. You stretch them out. You take time. So it's not this overnight thing. I mean, yeah, decisions are important. To make the decision to follow Christ is sinking your roots down. But it's, what is he saying? The, the, the daily walk. Walk it out. Walk it out. Because you're putting out roots somewhere. And they're stretching out every day. The second one in that same little passage. So walk in him rooted and built up in him. So another aspect of this Christ-centered, Jesus-first, walk in a manner worthy life is that you are built by the power of Jesus. So you're rooted down in him, and now you're being built up. The, the word built up is, is the, has the etymology of the word edifice, like a building. You are a building. You are a tree. God is building you up. Something is building you up. What is it? What, what is the power source that's building your life? And here's that challenge. Every day, walk with him. Put Jesus first. Let him Build your life. You won't be disappointed. And it, it was a, a fun little reflection. Yesterday, I was in the car driving down to San Marcos. Got my two younger boys and, and a friend. Uh, we're going down to a basketball uh, tournament. And we start a conversation about how long this friend's lived in the area. He lives right by our house that my Middle son and him, they go to the park together and play basketball. They both walk or bike, so it's kind of this cool, close thing. He's like, oh, how long have you guys lived there uh, at the house? And then he starts asking us and how long have we lived in our house. And, and, and my youngest son really loves dates and math and stuff. And so I start, oh, well, it would be, see, we've lived in this house for five years on Memorial Day weekend. And uh, that just kind of got me thinking about some fun dates. And that's like in this later spring, right? Okay, five years in this house. Oh, you know what's coming up in the spring also time? We got 10 years of Elevation Church existing. That's another cool kind of springtime, you know, uh, multiple of five. What else we got going? Oh, you know, April 1st, we got 20 years of mom and dad being married. Yeah. Well, she reminded me the other day, like, you're not there yet. I was like, well, okay. I'm banking on it, though, by faith. We're going to make 20 years. No, it was funny. We were at the elder board meeting, and I was like, oh, 20 years. And we're like, we're planning our, you know, we're planning our uh, getaway. And she's like, well, you know, I don't know if yet we're going. <laughs> it kind of came out funny. It was like, you don't know yet if we're going? Anyways. It was funny to me. Ministry board joke. 
But it's like, okay. And then it just got me thinking. So kind of the rest of the way down there, I was like, oh, what are some other like interesting milestones? Like five, 10, 20, what else? You know, and it was just because gratitude what was, was what was coming to mind. It started with the house. Like, oh my gosh, we've been in that house five years. That house was completely a God story. Completely of God's provision. And that made me start thinking, oh, God's provision. Oh, 10 years of the church. God's provision. Oh, 20 years of marriage. Definitely God's provision. For my wife. But you start looking back, it's like, oh, wow. Those things, those three things, and many more, clearly God's provision, God's building. I, I clearly, I mean, I genuinely look back at those and many others. We look back a couple more years before that, it's like, I got baptized, I think, 23 years ago. And you start thinking. And this is, so it became like this interesting exercise, right as I was, you know, also meditating on this. If you look back at your life, Who's building it? How is it gone? What has God done? What is God wanting to build? Because it's never too late to start. So you might be just starting today. Start right now. Because <laughs> he's the greatest foundation. And he could be a quick builder too. But the more we walk daily, yearly, decadely, you're going to see things built. Uh, you look back and you just say, God is good. <laughs> I wouldn't want to have any other treasure. That's what Paul's saying. I mean, there's people in here that have you know, twice, almost three times as long. I mean, uh, Charles and Adelina are going to celebrate 60 years of marriage. They got us tripled. As are coming up in the spring, too. Yeah. Lovebirds right there. Woo! But she did have to remind Charles of how many years it was. I, I, that's what, <laughs> I heard that last week. <laughs> Couples have fun. It's good. Okay. Build your life in the Lord. It's the best way to do it. That's my point. Moving on. Number four here. The substance of your pursuit. This is a good question. What is the substance of your pursuits in life? Colossians 2, 16 and 19 says it like this. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions or puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, not holding fast to the head from the, whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So that's kind of a nice parallel to what we just read. God wants you to look back at your life and be able to say, there is growth. There's a house being built, and I give God the glory. But more in there, man, this Jesus-centered, Christ-centered, Jesus-first life, anything, anything that causes you to not hold fast to the head, get rid of it, Paul says. Not going to do you well in the end. But, but the where I really want to dial in is this incredible phrase. They're talking about food and drink and festivals, new moon, Sabbath, which, by the way, are all good Old Testament covenant things, part of the, the, the life of worship. But what does it say? These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. 
So the substance of our pursuits in anything we do is Christ. The substance is more of Christ. To know Jesus Christ more has got to be the substance of everything or we forgot the point. And now, while we might not be first century Jews with our list of you know, festivals and new moons and Sabbaths and lists of here and there and food or drink, which it's saying do point to the reality of, of God's world, but the substance is in Christ. So we might not have that same list, but oh, come on, Christians, we got lists of what we should do to be a good Christian. You know, come to church, do this, do that. We got our rules, we got our regulations. And while just in the same way, all like the all these old covenant, old testament aspects of life and worship are intended by God to be good things, we can lose focus of the substance of it all. The pursuit of it all is simply about knowing Jesus Christ more. And if we don't know that, then we're just doing rituals, rules, and regulations without a really good purpose or point. And so this is just that healthy challenge. Just come back to your first love. Always have your first love. It's always about your first love. He's your treasure. So that's the motivation. So if you're new here, we do not give out lists of rules and regulations so you can feel good and religious. That's junk. We're here to pursue the substance, which is Christ. And so we might be passionate, so you might feel like, wow, that's, there's a lot of challenge going on. They're, they do a lot of stuff that pursues Christ. Yes, that's a compliment. Thank you. We do. <laughs> there is a lot of stuff to do, but it's because it's a relationship, and Jesus is available, and he's saying, pursue me every day. And so if Jesus is really first and our greatest treasure, I mean, think about what we do with things that we value. We shape everything around them. Everything. If you're valuing something, you, you put the time, you put the effort, you put the energy, you get your calendar out, you block out other things. So this is because I, I love this thing. You make it work. You make time. You make it happen. You make energy for it. You give energy to it. And so that's, that's our passion here. To be Christ-centered is to say, may the substance of our pursuit in everything be simple, <laughs> to know Jesus. And lastly in here, 219, we've already read the whole passage, but just the holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished, knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows where the growth is from God. Hold fast to the head. Hold fast to Jesus as your leader. It's not complicated, but it's really hard to live out. Is Jesus really our leader in everything? Holding fast to the head. We can feel ourselves slipping sometimes when we are putting our hope in other things, other people, other leaders. This passage is just a challenging one in that to be Christ-centered is to always be holding fast to Jesus, our leader, as our true and only lasting and eternal hope, and therefore our greatest hope in this time as well. And so really, in a world that has so many messages about who are you following and who is your leader and who are you trusting, where is your hope, who is going to make the future good in your world? What is going to make the future good? We're bombarded with that every day from 
you know, the consumerism that we all face every day to the politics that's in front of us incessantly. It's a challenge, a healthy challenge to say, am I holding fast to the head? Or I'm kind of losing grip a little bit on Jesus and, and, and trying to hold on over here instead. Because we will be challenged and influenced to not live Christ-centered lives in both our thoughts and our actions. And that's why Paul goes after both of those things in this passage where he says, I tell you this, chapter 2, verse 4, I tell you all this so no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions. So in the midst of trying to help the Colossian church see examples of what it looks like to put Jesus first, to have him preeminent, to be Christ-centered, he's saying, watch out in your thoughts because that's one of the major battlegrounds. You're going to have opposition in all of these areas to put Christ first. In your thoughts, you're going to have opposition. There are going to be people and places and institutions that are going to try to deceive you with good-sounding things. And if it's not ultimately all about and for Jesus and truth found in Jesus, it's leading you astray. And then he goes right on to the actions as well. And so it's just good to remember it's both thoughts and actions. And there's this whole long passage in the rest of really Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 23. And I won't read it now, but it's a good one if you really want to ponder through what are my actions looking like. Because there's lots of actions that he gives us that are not Christ-centered in the substance of what they're pursuing. And in this particular case, it has a lot to do with their, their religious activities, which we've already covered in some. But it goes on to talk about just real quick to a couple of the phrases that are powerful. Verse 20. If, Christ, if in Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to all these regulations? Same word in the Greek as rules. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch according to human precepts and teachings. These have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. They have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, you can do a hundred and one, a thousand and one outward actions, but if it's not rooted in Christ, with Christ as the substance, and to know Christ more, it has no power to transform your heart. So, it's good news. We don't have to live a life of legalistic following of rules and regulations just to feel we're religious. That is not what it's about at all. Paul says, get rid of it. No power. Just pursue the substance found in Christ. So in closing, I would encourage you to grab a lift note if you don't already have one and pick, it up on the, pick one up on the way out the door and, and, and ponder the, what Paul just sets up for us, which is really this, this grid where we can ask ourselves healthily, in grace, knowing our sins are covered. And as Colossians 1 said, verse 20, in Christ, you are presented before him, holy, blameless, without reproach. 
So what does that do? Gives you confidence to be able to look at areas that need work and growth. Why? Because you're already holy, blameless, and without reproach. So now what it is, it's just getting to know Christ more. So you have more joy and gratitude in knowing him. And your life brings him more pleasure, but you're already secure. That's all right here in chapter 1 and 2. I'm not making this up. It's good news. So, with that confidence of who you are in Christ, now then you can take questions before God because you want to know more about life and God. Am I Christ-centered? Is Christ first in all of these different areas? Are the ideas in my mind Christ-centered? Do the beliefs and statements that are running through my head each day, do they affirm that Jesus is my greatest treasure? Am I rooting my life in him? Am I being built by him? Is he the substance of all my pursuits? Do I hold fast to him as my leader? Am I doing this in both thought and in deed? And what will come out of this is just good fruit. <laughs> good fruit of God showing you ways in which he wants to truly be preeminent. So that he can get the glory and you can live in the joy and the gratitude of truly walking in a manner worthy of him. Let's pray.